This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Doing two episodes this week since I left all you when I went to Italy for a little bit. So we had our mailbag on Thursday. And now we're going to have a special Saturday episode as well featuring Michael Nanya. Uh, works for us at Turn the Jets. Works for Gangrene Nation. Uh, does a lot of stuff with uh, numbers, analytics, and stats. And uh, one of the better, or if not one of the best, young Jet writers out there. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Good to finally be back on here at TOJ. So the framework for what we want to do today is basically we're going to go through the Jets' current roster, uh, some of their new additions in particular, and talk about whether we see these guys as being uh, a little underrated or a little overrated. I'm going to come at it more from the film angle as someone who's you know watched all these guys two, three times now going back through what happened last year. Uh, and uh, Michael's going to come at it a little more from the numeric and the analytics standpoint about why some of my points may be wrong, may be right. I'm never wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm wrong plenty of the times. But we'll go back and forth on on some of these guys uh, and break it down a little bit uh, with the increased focus, I think, on what are some assumed weak areas of the roster and what are some assumed strong areas of the roster. Before we dive into the discussion your regular reminder to subscribe, rate, review the Turn on the Jets podcast on iTunes, also available on Spotify, Google Play. Uh, we post it on turnthejets.com, and of course, follow on Twitter for interaction. I'm just at Jay Capero. So, all right, I want to start with the offensive line because that is the thing that concerns me the most about the Jets offense. I actually feel pretty damn good about who Sam Darnold's top five options are as supporting weapons. Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson, Chris Herndon, Quincy Inouye, Jamison Crowder. Uh, even behind those five, Ty Montgomery uh, has a guy to back up Le'Veon Bell. Not crazy about the receiver depth after the top three uh, or the tight end depth, but at least that top six I feel pretty good about. Offensive line is where I'm worried and where I'm stressed, particularly when I see the first six opponents on the Jets schedule. So working down that line, Brandon Shell appears to be healthy. It does not seem that the injury is really going to linger into this year if he's already doing work in OTAs. Outside of that injury, he's had a bit of a problem staying healthy. From what I've seen in the past few years of both him and Beecham being the tackle tackles, I feel like Beecham is an underappreciated and a better, more consistent overall player than Brandon Shell. While I like the pick of Adoga in the third round, I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be ready to play as a rookie. Feels like more of a guy for 2020. But if there is someone who he would potentially relieve at some point due to someone being ineffective, I feel like Shell would be the more logical target, whether that's due to injury or just him struggling out there. When you look at what you've seen or what you understand of the Jets' two tackles from the past couple of years, how do you feel that assessment is? Or is there things that people aren't appreciating about Shell's game or maybe over-appreciating about Beecham's game? Yeah, so, so with Shell, I mean, my, kind, my thoughts on him are a little complicated because like, I've been a fan of his the past few years. I thought he's been a little underrated. Last year, I was 
you know, taking track of the amount of pressure, sacks, hits that every one of the offensive linemen gave up throughout the season. And Shell, from a numbers standpoint, was pretty decent. I believe he gave up about six sacks last year, somewhere around there. And even from a pressure standpoint, he was pretty solid last year. But going back the past few weeks, I've been looking at Sam Darnold's numbers, tracking all of his stuff. So, And then as I've been looking back and I've noticed Shell a little bit, he's kind of been unimpressive, especially in the run game. And Joe Blewett's done a lot of good uh, film on him, a lot of reviews with the whole team. But with Shell in particular, I've been talking to him. He's put out some reviews, and he's not really impressed with Shell. And going back again, looking back through all these games, the third, about the third, fourth time now, over the past few weeks, Shell kind of has stood out a little bit poorly to me. So I do think that there is still some progression to be done for Shell, but I do think that he did have a re- did take a big step forward last season, especially in pass protection, where I think he was, you know, pretty solid because – and you saw it at the end of the season when he got hurt and Brent Qualley came in, especially in that Texans game. There was a drop-off there. So even though Shell might not be a pro bowler, not even close to it, and maybe is even arguably below average, there's still a drop-off between where he is and what you're getting from a backup quality player. So I do think he is kind of underrated in that, you know, he's solid and you can do a lot worse than him, but I, you definitely, he, he can progress a lot, especially in the run game. So I think Shell is underrated in some ways, but definitely can, you can do a lot better than him and he can still, still do a lot better this year. So hopefully he does progress. And I think you hit it, hit the nail on the head with Beecham. He's, I think he's pretty underrated because you just look at him against other left tackles in the league. And he's definitely a step ahead of Shell. He's just a reliable, like, he's not a pro bowler. He's not going to be an all-pro, but he's a really reliable guy. And he started all 32 games the past couple of years. So he's been out there consistently healthy and just doing a solid job. Even if he's not spectacular, he's, he's doing a really good job in pass protection. Run game kindly is a lot to be desired. And, and that is a theme across the entire line last year. Hopefully, Osemele changes that a little bit. But run game, not that great. But pass protection, he does a pretty solid job. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's flip over to the other position that jumps to the top of everybody's mind when they talk about potential problem areas for the Jets, and that would be cornerback on the other side of the football. To address slot corner, which is one of the more challenging positions to fill in the NFL, unquestionably. It's not, not an easy place to find someone who could stand up to teams who are now regularly sliding their best receiver in the slot for more favorable matchups. The Jets let Buster Screen walk, go to the Chicago Bears. They replaced him with Brian Poole of the Atlanta Falcons. My general feeling on Poole is that he reminds me a lot of a younger version of Screen. So I think it's going to kind of be a lateral move, maybe with the benefit of him being more durable uh, and maybe a little has a little more size and athleticism, but I think they're fairly comparable players. And I would be a little less concerned about the situation at slot corner if I felt better about the situation at outside corner because all the trickles down. Like, I don't think in a perfect world anybody wants Daryl Roberts as a starting outside corner or even maybe Brian Poole as a starting slot corner, but it hurts a little more when you realize that you need Tremaine Johnson to absolutely be a legitimate lead, lead corner to help cover for that. And we don't know if he is going to be able to get back to that level of play. And that might just be an age thing because cornerbacks generally don't age all that well. So a healthy Tremaine Johnson playing with Greg Williams, hopefully that makes a difference, but I think it's far from a guarantee. Going back to Poole, you know, you, I know you've dove deep with different coverage stats what type of player was screened roughly last year, and what level of play does Poole need to hit for him to be a notable upgrade over him? 
I mean, with screen, obviously the big downside is, and you know, everyone hits on it, is the penalties. He is usually near the top of the league with those. So he does hurt the team on in that aspect. But I, I think with screen, what kind of goes under the radar with him or what did during his time here is that he would have some games every now and then where he was really, really good. He had a couple in 2017, a couple last year, but then he would have a couple of those, but then more often than not, he would have one where he was really, really bad. So I think that with pool, you're, probably hoping to get a little bit more consistency. And like you said, slot corner is a really hard position to fill. It's, it's not a position where consistency is easy to find because it's just such a difficult spot to play at. But with screen, it was really consistency was the big issue. He flashed some really bright signs, had some great games, but then he had some really bad games like that one against Miami a couple of years ago, which is one of the worst that you would ever seen. So, and so with pool, it's really just the consistency. That's what you're hoping to get. But just looking back at what he's done in Atlanta, he's kind of had the similar kind of consistency issues that Screen had. Even if he's a little bit different of a player, a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical, Screen was more athleticism-based. It's kind of the same question marks with consistency, but hopefully because he is younger, this is only going to be his fourth season in the league this year. He can Hopefully he has some more time to iron that out and progress a little bit, but definitely consistency is what you're looking for. And another thing that he does bring to the table is the pass rushing ability. He's been one of the most productive pass rushing corners in the league over the past three years, I'm pretty sure he's leading. He leads all corners in sacks over the past three years. So pass rushing is something he brings to the table, but consistency is definitely what you're looking for if you're on if you want an upgrade over screen. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's go back to talking about the Jets receiver group. One of the additions that I'm most excited about, besides, of course, Le'Veon Bell, has been Jamison Crowder. And I think in looking at how Adam Gase regularly plays offense and utilizes his slot receivers, he's going to be a major part of this offense. Basically, Gase's base personnel is three receivers, one tight end, one running back. Crowder, you have to figure, is going to be the slot receiver the overwhelming majority of the time. Throughout his career, he has been a guy who's been healthy and productive outside of last year when was the first time he missed any type of extended time. One of the things I felt like I've noticed about Crowder's game, which is a little unique for a slot receiver, is that he has a bit more of an ability to get vertical down the field if you do want to attack a little more aggressively. Although, you know, what we've seen from Gase with his slot receivers is a little more short, quick-hitting stuff, set up opportunities to run after the catch, utilize them in the run game from time to time. Looking at Crowder, is it crazy or is it accurate to expect that there's a good chance he could actually lead the team in receptions next year? Maybe not lead the team in receiving yards. I feel like that's going to be Robbie Anderson. But from looking at his route utilization and how Gate utilizes slot receivers, what type of production level are you expecting from him, and how excited are you to see his integration into this offense? Well, I was a huge fan of the signing, and before free agency, he was my favorite receiver target because I did think the Jets needed a slot receiver because especially Quincy Noonwa, a guy who's now been banged up a lot, you want to maybe see him play outside a little bit more, where he's played really well and showed some great flashes. To get a slot receiver to allow a noon lot to move outside to spring more versatility would be a huge plus. And Crowder was my favorite option. He kind of flew under the radar because, you know, last year he's banged up. He didn't have that great of numbers. The Redskins had some backups in there after Alex Smith went down. So he kind of flew under the radar. But like you said before, he's really unique, a really unique talent for the slot position. What he can do getting vertical, not a lot of other slot receivers do. You look at the amount of 20-plus yard plays he's made, the amount of deep catches he's made, pretty much in the top five range among slot, uh, among slot receivers over the past few years. So 
he does have a really unique skill set. There's a lot of different things he does well. And like you said, the underneath game is something that Gase really likes to do with his slot guys in Miami. And the good news there with Crowder is that he's good at that too because this past year, I believe he was top 10 in the league in yards after catch per reception. So he's got a really good ability to get deep, uh, really unique for a slot receiver, and he can still make plays underneath as well. So there's a lot of different things he can do well. He brings a lot to the table, which is why I think he's a really underrated addition. And, and like you said, he could lead the team in receptions uh, out of the slot there. We don't know how healthy Inunlaw is going to be, and both him and Robbie Anderson are more kind of big play threats. So they'll get their yards and their touchdowns, but Crowder is a guy who could eat up a lot of receptions underneath. So whatever it is they want him to do, he can get deep as well as any other slot receiver can get deep. He can make plays underneath in the screen game. He's a really underrated player. So, yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite additions, and I could easily see him leading the team in catches. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Going back to the offensive line, the Jets' marquee addition this offseason was Coletio Semele, basically to upgrade over James Carpenter. And they, they've had inconsistent play in the interior, not just from the center position, but also from the guard position. Brian Winters up and down. Carpenter really good in 2015 and sort of gradually took a step back in e- with each passing year. was a little surprised by how much money Atlanta ultimately gave him. So with Assembly, a guy who I would say two or three years ago was considered one of the best guards in the NFL, uh, has been a little banged up recently, has one year left on a pretty big deal. Basically, my question is, how bad was James Carpenter last year, uh, particularly when it came to something like pass protection? And if the Jets could get, I don't know, 85% of what Osemele was at his best, how big of an upgrade is that over Carpenter? Because I don't think people appreciated how much Carpenter's play declined in the past couple of years. I think he was really good initially out of his contract, and people just sort of wrote it off in their head that, oh, they're really solid at that position. They have Carpenter, while his play actually really eroded over time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And from a pass protection standpoint, it was the interior where the struggles really were last season. Shell was pretty solid most of the time. He had a couple bad games against Jacksonville, against Minnesota. I think he had a bad game, so... The tackles, they were, they were okay. They weren't great. They had their bad games now and then. But for the most part, they were kind of at an average level in terms of the amount of pressures and sacks Beecham and Shell were giving up. But it was the interior trio where the pass protection really struggled. Winters was really inconsistent. He'd have a pretty good game now and then where he'd pancake a lot of guys. But then he'd have some games where he got driven into Sam Darnold's lap quite a bit. And then Spencer Long, obviously, he's, uh, his struggles spoke for, his, for, spoke for themselves last year. He had a really, really rough year in pass protection. But Carpenter as well was probably the number two issue behind Long in pass protection. He really struggled last season. And like you said, he was a good signing in the beginning. Probably their best lineman over uh, his first couple years there. Uh, Definitely in 2016, probably. But over the past couple of years, he definitely kind of declined. Wasn't really a great fit with what they were trying to do from a scheme standpoint. But even beyond that, he definitely just seemed to decline a little bit, especially in pass protection, which is where he used to be pretty solid wasn't really as much this past year. So it was definitely the interior trio where the Jets really struggled in pass protection last year. Most of the trouble was coming up the middle for Darnold, and obviously that's where it can get to you the quickest, so that is going to really hurt a rookie quarterback. So Carpenter did really struggle, and with O'Semley, I think there's, there's no question that last year is a down year for him, and he did deal with injury, so hopefully he can bounce back from that and maybe get back to the level where he was before, but even if he doesn't, get back to that level. Like you said, even if it's an 85% level or a 90% level, it'll still be an upgrade over what Carpenter was last year because he really declined. And 
his pass protection was really barely starter quality, barely above what you would get from a backup. I actually believe Spencer Long had a better uh, pass, better pass protection numbers after he moved over to left guard than Carpenter did when he's playing there. And Carp- and Long was not even good at left guard, so that just goes to show how much Carpenter struggled. But, yeah, even if Osemele is at an 85%, 90% level of his peak, he should still be a huge upgrade. And especially in the run game is where Osemele should really make an impact because that's been where the Jets line has really struggled the past couple of years. Um, the Jets lead the league in stuffs over the past few years, the most stuffed runs in the league. So that's obviously not going to help Sam Darnold. It really didn't help him last year. So Osemele can really help out in the run game. And you look at the Raiders' rushing numbers, in his direction over the time he spent there in the left guard, left side direction. They're near the top of the league in yards per attempt, total yards, first down, touchdown. So he's a really good run blocker. So hopefully, if he, even if he's not totally back to his peak when he's at that all-pro level, he should still be an upgrade over Carpenter because he really struggled last year. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's bring it back uh, to the defensive side of the football and look at the Jets' linebacker position. Now, I think... The assumption and the hopeful assumption is that Ja'Kai Polite is going to make an immediate impact as an edge rusher. I was a huge fan of the pick, uh, and I'm excited about the potential for this guy at only 21 years old. I do think banking on a rookie third-rounder to make that big of an impact on your defense is a little risky. Uh, That doesn't mean that I don't think he can have some type of impact, but to think he's going to walk on and have 10, 12 sacks as a rookie is probably a bit naive. When you look at the rest of this Jets edge group, you're basically looking at Polite. You're looking at Jordan Jenkins, who I think had the Calvin Pace seven sacks last year where you know he had a, a bit of a higher sack number that doesn't really quite represent how effective of a pass rusher he is. Uh, then you have Brandon Copeland, who's a little bit more of a role player and special teamer. Uh, Frankie Louvu coming back for year two. How do you see those reps ultimately breaking down? And is there anyone else in that group besides polite and I think we know Jenkins is going to play a lot and probably regress to the mean a little bit with his sack number but how do you see that group sort of dividing up from a a rep perspective and is there anyone who was a little more effective than their numbers showed or maybe a little less effective than their numbers showed yeah well I I think like you said Jenkins is probably the guy who's most likely to be a starter and lead that group in snaps. Then then after that, you could see a little bit of the competition because Brandon Copeland, he made some plays last year. Obviously, he wasn't great, but you know he did play most of the year and was decent at best, I guess you could say. And Polite, obviously, as a third-rounder, he's probably going to get some opportunities this year. And like you said, I don't think he is going to bust out this year with that double-digit sack season, but obviously down the line, he definitely has that potential. But right off the bat, probably not. I think Justin Houston is a really interesting comparison to him Houston only had I believe four or five sacks in his first year but then second year onward is when he started becoming that double digit every year guy so I think you could see that kind of an arc for polite if he does end up panning out but obviously the potential of him is great but I I think it's going to be a lot similar than what we've seen uh, or a lot similar to what we've seen in the past few years just a lot of rotation a lot of different guys getting opportunities Frankie Lulu is going to be in there Uh, I don't think he had them I think he last season was uh, a thing you want to look at with sacks is that you know, sacks can be kind of misleading because it's just such a small portion of what actually happens. So if you're looking at quarterback hits and pressures, those could be a lot more uh, predictive in terms of, you know, a lot more indicative of pass rush production and really help you kind of get a look at how many sacks someone might get in the future or if they've been better or worse in the sack numbers that they have put up. So I think Frankie Louvu was a guy last year. I think he only had maybe two sacks somewhere around there, but he had uh, somewhere in the double digits with quarterback hits. So 
he could be a guy who's due for a little bit more production in the, in the future. And then Jordan Jenkins, like you said, this probably guy is going to come back to the mean a little bit. He did get a little better as a pass rusher last season because you know, in his first two seasons, he did pretty much nothing as a pass rusher. So to have seven sacks last season, I think he had about 15 quarterback hits. It was definitely a step up, but still not to an elite level. So I, I think he would even out a little bit, but I, I think that's where I'd go. I think Jenkins is probably going to maybe take a, go down to maybe four or five sacks. And I think Frankie Lulu could be a guy who could maybe see an uptick if he makes the roster and gets some playing time. But for Polite, I think he'll probably be somewhere in that four to five range. But I definitely down the line that upside for him to be that double-digit guy that, you know, that we've been waiting for for so long. He definitely has that potential. But for now, I think he's going to be more of a situational player, maybe put up somewhere around five sacks this year. Staying at the linebacker position, I look at a guy like Avery Williamson. Uh, now we'll have the benefit of playing next to C.J. Mosley rather than Darren Lee. I tend to think that fans overrate Williamson's season a little bit last year. I think he was fine. Like, he was okay. He was an okay starter in the middle. You know, I saw, you see some people tweeting, oh, he really should have got Pro Bowl consideration. He, you know, he's more one of the better inside linebackers in the NFL. I'm not sure I see that. And I'm still concerned about him being a general liability in the passing game, particularly. I think teams are going to attack the Jets by trying to spread them out and get their linebackers in space this year. That's how I'd attack them. You know, you're not going to, it's going to be nearly impossible, I think, to move the ball up the middle. And then they built this defense literally right up the middle with interior defensive linemen, inside linebackers, and safeties. Uh, you got to attack them on the outside. Uh, with Williamson, is he anything more than a middle of the road? inside linebacker is there anything that he does particularly well that's an outlier or anything that he does particularly poorly uh that makes him that much further below average in that area well i think there are a couple of areas where williamson is you know particularly above average relative to his at his position relative to the rest of the league and that would be his run defense and his pass rushing his he is a pretty good pass rusher obviously it's not something you expect too much out of at the inside linebacker position you're just looking at how often they can convert their blitz opportunities, the few that they do get into sacks. And he does do that pretty well uh, relative to the rest of the league. He's been one of the better sack guys at the inside linebacker position. So that is something he does pretty well. And just to compare him to Darren Lee, a guy who didn't do that very well, I'm pretty sure he only had about one sack. And even the pressures, he just didn't convert his blitzes that often. So that is something I think Williamson does well. And run defense, I think he is one of the best uh, run defenders in the league at inside linebacker. He is usually near the top of the league and run stuff, you know, total tackles, all that, all those kind of things. And you just look at his run defense. I think he is a really good run defender, but where I think that fans kind of, you know, miss that he struggles a little bit is the pass game. I don't think he's a complete liability. He's not, you know, like David Harris might've been towards the end of his career, but I, I think he does struggle a little bit in the pass game. He didn't get burnt consistently this season. He didn't give up that much, but, when he did get targeted, and there were a few games when teams would make it a point to target him and, you know, look at that middle of the field area, that's when I think he struggled. So, yeah, he wasn't really awful in pass coverage. He wasn't getting picked on every single week, but there were times when teams would look to him and target him consistently, and he would struggle a little bit. So in the pass game, I think he's definitely below average, so that's why he's not necessarily a Pro Bowl-level player, but I do think in the run game and as a blitzer, he is really good. So, Overall, I think he is. It's fair to say he is definitely above average and a good linebacker, but he's not at that Pro Bowl level. So having Mosley next to him should definitely help cover up some of his weaknesses. All right, final player before we wrap here. 
I, like most fans, am particularly excited about Chris Herndon going into year two. The Jets have not had consistently good tight end play throughout my life. There was a couple blips here or there from Dustin Keller. Uh, started off the 2010 season. I think he had a touchdown like in their first four or five games of the year. I was like, hey, we're going to have an all-pro tight end. He kind of tapered off a little bit, but still had some really nice moments uh, from 2008 to 2010-ish. Uh, we had some fun years with Jeff Cumberland. We had the uh, Kellen Davis experience. We've had Eric Tomlinson dropping passes and getting called for holding. We've had Matthew Mulligan. But now we finally have Chris Herndon, a pick that I think most of us were excited about when it happened. Started off a little slow last year, but then really got rolling. And for a rookie tight end, was particularly notably productive. Uh, a guy with a lot of athleticism who I think can bounce between traditional Y alignment, could be an H-back, you can split him out outside the numbers as a receiver, and he could still be effective. Likely to get suspended a game or two at the beginning of the year, but when he comes back, uh, should be somebody who is getting a lot of consideration when they're considering up dividing how they divide targets. And I hope that Adam Gase doesn't lose Herndon in the shuffle between Le'Veon Bell, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inouye, Jamerson Crowder. I just think he's too unique of a player. Give me the numbers that should get Jet fans the most excited as possible about Chris Herndon and his potential. Oh, yeah, I love Chris Herndon. And when you look at his numbers, they just scream at you that he has a really good chance of being not not just good, but a star. So, like, when you – and like you said, he was really good for a rookie. And when you compare what he did this this past season to other rookie tight ends in the past, he's with some some really good names. His efficiency – in terms of what he put up last year in yards, I'm pretty sure he had about 520 yards. And yards per target, he's super efficient. He's about nine yards per target. The last rookie tight end to put up as many yards – as many yards per target as Herndon did this past season was Rob Kronkowski back in – 2010. So he's with names like that, no matter how you stack it up. And you look at his production from when he first started getting really involved in week six against the Colts through the end of the season, he was seventh in the league in yards among, um, among tight ends. I'm pretty sure he was tied for third in touchdowns. And the only other player to match him in yards, touchdowns and yards per target over that span from week six to the end of the season, I believe were I pretty sure it was George Kittle and Zach Ertz. And that's it. So you look at what he is doing relative to rookies. It was great. Oh, the only guys who've done what he's done over the past few seasons in their first in their first year in the league have usually been pretty good. He's in the neighborhood of guys. You know, I already mentioned Gronk, but Hunter Henry, George Kittle, guys like that, Zach Ertz, Vernon Davis, all had similar numbers. So he's in the neighborhood of a lot of guys who've had similar rookie seasons and went on to become really good players. And then you just look at what he did once he started getting involved through the end of the season. He was already playing like one of the 10 best tight ends in the league as a rookie and only 22 years old. So you just look at the connection he had with Darnold, making a bunch of improvised plays throughout throughout the year when Darnold would scramble, Herndon would break off his route and go make a play near the sideline. You saw a ton of that. So they just had a clear camaraderie. And you look at the numbers and they just scream to you that there is, there's a really good chance he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the game. I'm excited. And I think Jet fans should be excited too. I think Darnold and Herndon will be a duo that – uh, we'll be hearing about for a while, and one of the young players on the roster to particularly be excited about. All right, Michael, appreciate you. Appreciate you joining us. Looking forward to continuing to see the content that you're churning out. We'll talk again as the season gets a little closer. Everybody, thank you for listening. We will be back next Thursday on our regular scheduled show, uh, and we'll probably try to keep going with the Saturday episodes as well. So training camp draws closer. Week one's 100 days away. 
Uh, thanks again, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot for having me on.